sometimes, not often, the Lord gives me an idea of what you guys are thinking. And this is one of those days. You're looking at me. I know what you're thinking. How does that guy marry a woman 20 years younger than himself? How does he do that? The favor of God, my friend. That was, that was a little Patsy Cline there for a minute even. You heard it. Some of you can Google that after the service and find out who Patsy Cline is. Mark 8, 22. Mark 8, 22. We'll take a break from our foundation series. We have two more weeks of that, and then uh, we'll move on. A little something I want to share with you this morning that comes out of the scripture. Some of you have been in classes with me. We've talked about this. We'll go a little bit further. There's, I've left a little meat on the bone on this passage, and I want to go back and gobble it up. It's probably one of the most timely Words in my life is what I see going on in the world today, and I think it's true of all of us. It's a great passage. It's a perplexing one, too. It goes like this. Uh, the title from the publisher, my Bible anyway, says, Jesus heals a blind man at Bethsaida. And it reads like this, 22 to 26. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand. Are you picturing this now? He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, asked do you see anything? He looked up and said, I, 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 I see I see people, and they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And check this out. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Okay, what is this? What kind of deal is this? Uh, the two-step process. Did Jesus is Jesus having an off day here? I mean, what do we got going on here? Is uh, forget the anointing oil? What the? Uh, I've never seen a two-step process from uh, the King of Kings. Uh, I don't. I'm a little perplexed by it at first sight. To be honest with you, I mean. What's, he got, what's going on here? Is it Jesus's that is Jesus having a, have a long night? Or does the guy maybe not have enough faith? That can't be it. A lot of these people were healed, didn't even know who Jesus was, let alone had faith in him. So that's out. We're back to Jesus. What's the two step? Huh. And this is the only instance. It's not like we're going to go compare and contrast this to some other narrative. This is it. We're all on an island here all by ourselves trying to understand this passage. Is this some sort of lesson that some healings take longer? Now, you could say that maybe. That's the best answer I think you come up with without knowing the real answer. I got the real answer, by the way. That's a halfway decent answer. It'll buy you time until you get the real answer, but it's not the right answer. 
Um, hmm. We'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, it says in this passage that um, they came to Bethsaida. All right, so what? Well, he also told them at the end of the little encounter not to go back into the village. Okay, that's, I noticed that. See, Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum were three towns that had issues. And because they had issues, Jesus eventually said these towns would be cursed. What does that mean? It doesn't mean they're going to be punished. It means that God's going to withhold his blessing from them because there's so much unbelief there. Well, even today, if you go to Bethsaida, it's just a, it's a swampy area. Teenagers go there and drink beer and make out. It's true. Chorazin is not even nothing, and Capernaum is a tourist spot. There's not anybody that lives there. There's no life, just buildings. So he was right. The blessing had been withheld from these three towns in this little triangle area because they had unbelief. So let's start to understand the passage this way. They came to a town of unbelief. Jesus healed the guy through a two-step process, and then he said, don't go back into the town of unbelief. Don't even go back in there, all right? Maybe it's a little clear now. Notice that the people begged Jesus to heal this blind man. That's a strong word. By the way, how many intercessors, like this is your ministry, you're an intercessor. You pray for the nation, you pray for people, you pray for leaders, you pray for the church, you pray for other people. Who's that? Raise your hand. All right, you're intercessor. All right. An intercessor, by my definition, is you want something for the person you're praying for more than you would ever want it for yourself. That's where begging comes in. You want something for the blind man more than you would want it for yourself. Paul says, I'd give up my own salvation for my fellow Jews. You want something more for another. Now how many intercessors do we have? Don't raise your hand. They begged, they wanted something for this man big time and they wanted it now. And they brought the man to Jesus. That's what an intercessor does. It takes someone far off and brings them to the throne in prayer and begs on behalf of their, on their behalf that they would have something that we don't, maybe we would never have, or we want them to have something that we do have and we want them to have it more than we want it for ourselves. Now, Jesus is an intercessor, you get the idea. So, okay, so took the blind man by the hand. They asked him to touch him. First thing he did was touch him. They begged him to touch, touch him. So he touched him, led him by the hand outside the village. He spit on the man's eyes, put his hands on him again, second time. He said, do you see anything? Oh, well, they look like trees walking around. He maybe have heard that other people had been healed to a greater extent, perhaps, not him. He's probably wondering at this very moment, what's happening here? I've heard stories of people being able to see that never seen before. This guy had seen before. His sight was restored. You know it, his sight was restored because, guess why? It says his sight was restored. But other than that, he knew what a tree looked like. 
And he kind of knew what people looked like. And he knew it when people looked like trees, he knew it. His sight had been given back to him through the begging intercession of others. And he could see people in a fuzzy way. Not in a clear way. Now, why, why are we left here trying to guess why it takes Jesus two, op- two opportunities, two steps, two, two trials to heal this man? Because we have just violated the most important principle of Bible study there is. We just jumped right in and totally ignored the context. Let's go to Mark chapter eight, same chapter, verse one. And there's our answer. During those days, another large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat. Here we go again with this. Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I I wanna have compassion on these people. I mean, they've been here three days. They haven't had anything to eat. We gotta do something. These people are gonna just pass out. It's the same as the feeding of the 5,000. Now he's gonna feed 4,000. So he's gotta get this taken care of it's not, the same, it's not the same narrative that's put together into, you know, understood in two different ways. This is two separate narratives. He fed the 5,000, now he's gonna feed the 4,000, and these people are hungry. And they've come a long distance. So he says in verse four, his disciples answer, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? And how many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. They said seven, We've got seven loaves. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them. Also told the disciples, distribute them, the fish. People ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. All right. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat. All right, so he takes off. Then he says this, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Beware of unbelief. That was their issue, unbelief. Now let's see what else happens. Let's get our answer. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread on their little boat trip except for one loaf. All right, if you have, some of you haven't been over there with Angie and I, so what are we gonna do here? They're gonna, it's gonna take them a while to get back and they, they're gonna be hungry and they're gonna need something to eat. They got one loaf. They had one loaf they had with them in the boat and be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod, watch out for unbelief. Jesus sees where this is going. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Somebody, some bright guy in the back goes, it has something to do with the bread. I don't know what it is, something to do with the bread. He's telling us about the Pharisees and Herod. I know those people don't believe. I don't know what he's trying to say to us, but I'm still saying we don't have enough bread to get back. We only have one loaf. Wait a minute, we only have one loaf. Nobody says this, we only have one loaf. He only had seven, he fit 4,000 people. Let me check this out. I think we should have enough. Nobody said that. Just said we got one loaf. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, hey, why, excuse me, why are you talking about having no bread? Where's that? Like, on what planet are you right now? 
Like, like where have you been? Like, are you, are you totally clueless? I mean, why are you talking about that? That, that? that perplexed him a little bit. Now I want you to think about the blind man looking at people that look like elm trees, rhododendrons, bushes. Think about that man. He's like, what? I can't quite make it out. I guess it's a person. Looks like a branch. Maybe it's an arm. I don't know. Before that ever happened, before the blind man was ever run into outside the city, before he ever was an issue, Jesus said this, do you still not see? Do you, I mean, can you still really tell me? Can you really not see that one loaf is enough? Is that possible? Is it even possible after just feeding that many thousands of people? Can you really not see that loaf is enough for you guys? Is it, is it even possible that you would look at that loaf and be together and having just been with me and just really not see the math here that that one loaf should be enough? Why can't you see that? I mean, we're all looking at it. We all just came out of this experience. What is the deal? Why can't you see it? Do you, do you not still not see? Do you, do you not understand, he says. He, he's really baffled by this uh, lack of uh, connecting the dots, of which there's only two. Do you still not see? Do you still not see? Can you not see clearly? Do you see? How do you see that fuzzy right now? I don't get it. And how do you not understand? Are your hearts hardened? I mean, this is not a vision issue. Maybe this is a heart issue. You're not going to bend your heart. You're not going to be taught anything. You're going to be rigid as you can possibly be. And because you are, you cannot see because of your hardened heart that that bread is enough for you? Are your hearts hard? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? I mean, it wasn't even hours past. Don't you remember when I broke the five lives for the 4,000 and how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did, did pieces did you pick up? Seven, seven, seven baskets. Yeah, we remember that. And he said to them, do you still not remember? It's like uh, there, there's a uh, spiritual dementia here uh, that, that has created a great fog and a lack of understanding. And these, these men right here are going to build the church. Ah. All right, here's a reminder when you read your Bible. Who wrote the book of Mark? Well, Peter wrote it. Mark was the secretary. But anyway, that's another story. Peter is writing this story. And he doesn't mention the fact that they're all standing there. All the disciples are standing there watching the blind guy with the trees and the bushes and the rhododendron. He's, they're all standing there watching. They're all standing there listening. And they've all just got this lecture on, man, can't you see? <laughs> you know, can't you understand? And Jesus goes to heal this man and intentionally, intentionally doesn't heal him the first time. He's wanting these disciples who are standing there like, duh, 
And he looks at the guy and he says, hey, um, how do you, can you see? Yeah, I see people, they look like trees. The disciples are going, oh, jeez, man, he's, this is for us. Pay attention. This is for us. We're not seeing things clearly. He's teaching us a lesson. No one else knows it. Even the blind guy is clueless. Jesus is training them to do as he does. And as such, he's training us right now. How is your sight? How clear do you see today? Why, he asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Well, I'm going to ask you the same question. Why are you talking about not having whatever you want to finish the sentence with? Why? Do you not have enough? Do you not have enough knowledge? Do you not have enough faith? You don't have enough years under your belt in the church? You don't have enough position? You don't, what? You don't have a, a Bible understanding? You don't, what? What don't you have that you think can justify stymieing the power of God? that he couldn't work through you because you're deficient in some way, shape, or form. You don't have enough desire. You don't have enough faith. What is it? What is it you don't have enough of? You have enough money? You don't have enough time? How can you not have, not have enough time to build the kingdom of God? You have the same amount of time as everybody else, and some people are building the kingdom of God. What can't you see? And what are you focused on that you don't have? And why are you focused on what you don't have? Why aren't you focused on what you do have? Better yet, why aren't you focused on who you have? And why aren't you focused on who has you? We don't need spiritual accountants and bean counters counting up loaves of bread letting us know what God can and cannot do. You have a life, you have a, a devotion to Christ, you have an understanding of the word, you have a church, you have a family, you have someone who's trying to give you the truth every single week, every single week, after week, after week. You have all that you need. How much of your life is spent declaring what you don't have or what you want or what you're not pleased with? Don't answer that. People who have nothing, who have Christ, do not talk about how little they have. People who have everything who have Christ can have a tendency, not all, can have a tendency to rehearse what they don't have. Why are you talking about having no bread? Why would some people accentuate what their spouse lacks rather than what their spouse has? What are we doing? Why are you talking about having no bread? What, why magnify what you do not have over what God has provided? 
Someone needs to hear this. Listen closely, it's for you. Be faithful in few things and God will give you charge over many. Be faithful in few things which require little and God will give you charge over many. To whom much has been given, much is required. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Said another way, why is your sight not, why did you, when you look at the bread, the loaf of bread on the bow of the boat and you're headed back to the house, why what you look at isn't enough? What is it about that? Do you see it smaller than it is? Do you see it insignificant as it is? Do you see that your appetite is more than the one loaf, therefore you don't think you can do it without it? Do you have a need for more than one? And, that's, and it's not okay unless you have more than one or is it enough, see? That's what he's saying to them. It's, um, and why do we have to see to be convinced? And sometimes we look and see, but we don't see. Now we're really in trouble. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus says, you people are always looking for a sign. You're always looking for something that you can lay your eyeballs on and then say, I told you. I told you I was right. I told you he is who he says he is. Now you can see it. Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. The blind man at one time could see. And it was of the five senses, it was the number one sense that he relied upon more than anything else, his eyeballs. You who can see in this room today, base your life primarily on what you see and you evaluate by what you see and your weakest, and mine too, the weakest senses of the five is probably listening. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Why do you think we have a message on a Sunday morning? Not that you can watch, that you can listen. Here's a man who can't see people for trees. He can't distinguish them, but he can hear. He can't yet see, but he can hear. The disciples just got done seeing, and they're blind. They can't see a thing. Paul couldn't see until he was struck blind. Then he started to listen to the voice of God. Do you still not see or understand Said another way, have you not seen approximately 9,000 plus people fed? A lot of times we have to be careful. We can't see over our shoulder. I think sometimes when we look into our past and all the things that God has done, by time or by lack of accentuating them or lack of sharing them in our testimony, they were the most important things that happened at the moment that God did for us. But looking back over time, it was almost as though they didn't exist. Almost as though they were half, half as potent as they were at the time. When, when he spared your life in an accident, when he 
provided funding at the midnight hour, when, when you got through something, when the, when the relationship was restored, we celebrated. We look back on it sometimes and we have this tendency, I don't see it the same way right now. I just don't see it the same way. I'm not sure it even really happened. You walk away from the Lord and all of those visual testimonies of God sparing you, providing for you, delivering you, saving you, you walk away from the Lord long enough in your own direction, you'll convince yourself you never saw them at all. They didn't even exist. But what have you heard? It's, it's that what we hear seems to linger. He says, are your hearts hardened? Maybe that's it. He's saying to the guys, hey guys, we gotta figure this out because like, hey listen, I, I got three years. We're already into this thing. Uh, there's no overtime. We gotta get this. Are your hearts hardened? Are they teachable? Are they moldable? Are they humble? If you're teachable, you're gonna grow. If you're teachable and you're humble, you're gonna grow and you're gonna prosper. Really, you're gonna prosper. And then he says, do you have eyes but fail to see? This is a funny thing about living in this world today and what I'm about to tell you, I truly believe is true because I see it all the time. Sometimes we only see what we want to see. Really. There's a name for it. It's called confirmation bias. In other words, I'll show you 10 different things. You're going to see the things that I show you as you want to see them. Not as they are, as you want to see them. We tend to see what we want to see. Number two, sometimes we only see what we've always seen. This is the way it is and the way I perceive this world that I live in is, is based on what I saw 40 years ago. And that's how I filter and process this world. I see it through what I've always seen. Like no one's changing. Everyone's changing. Everything is changing. Sometimes we don't see what is in the past. We see what we want to see, not what really is. Sometimes we only see what we have seen in the past. Sometimes we limit our sight to what others say they see. All right, if you tell me you saw it, then I'll believe it. I don't want to do any homework or anything. I'm just going to go with you. I'm going to go along with the crowd. That's what I'm going to do. Sometimes we only want to see. And because we only want to see, we don't listen. But when you combine seeing something and listening, you got yourself something. Sometimes we only see what we can handle. We can deny the rest. I'm not going to see something just presented to me because it's going to ask too much of me. I know I'm not going to do it, so I might as well just say I don't see it because I don't want to do the work. This happens in the marketplace all the time. I'm not sure I see it that way, so I'm not going to do it. Never mind the fact I'm lazy, and if I really did apply myself and do what you asked me to do, the whole company would prosper. I just don't see it. Then, of course, some things that are out of sight are out of mind. And if they're out of our mind, they're not a responsibility anymore. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Sometimes we can hear truth coming from others, but we can't hear falsehoods from the same person. Sometimes we hear falsehoods or label people false which means they could never say anything true, so everything they say is false. 
It's a bias that we have in our, in our life. Truth can come from many different places. But no one is always right and no one is always wrong. No one is always tells the truth and no one always is false. These guys are having to wrestle with that because they're gonna basically, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write the rest of the New Testament. It's good that they get this lesson down, do you have ears but fail to hear? Sometimes we only hear what we expect to hear. We could have a conversation, a husband and wife, and we, we expect the response, but we don't get it. But we don't respond to the response we weren't expecting. We respond to the response we were expecting because that's what we've always expected and that's what we've always heard. You say anything new, it doesn't even get heard. Sometimes we only hear what others hear. And many times we quickly believe what we hear. We don't substantiate it. Welcome to the internet. And many times pride can keep us from acknowledging that we never really heard accurately to begin with, nor did we see. And then he says, and don't you remember? Sometimes we count our blessings only to lose count and forget about them. I mean, he said it this way. He said, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets? 12. When I broke it for the seven loaves for the 4,000, seven. Can we learn these lessons? Can the author of this gospel learn the lesson? Did he learn the lesson? When you, when you study a passage, it's always good to know what happened just in front of it. Almost always. It's even more important to know what happens after it in this case. They leave the area of Bethsaida. They leave the blind man now with total clear sight. They leave the sea and the whole lesson sermon about seeing and hearing. And then they go up a little bit north, the tribe of Dan in Caesarea Philippi. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi and on the road he asked his disciples saying to them, who do men say that I am? In other words, what are you hearing? What are you hearing out there? And what are you filtering? What are you hearing? What are you believing these people are saying about me? Said another way, what have you heard on the news lately about me? So they answered, well, so they answered, John the Baptist. A lot of people say you're John the Baptist, as though that's relevant to the conversation. But some say Elijah. You know, a lot of people are saying that. Different networks are saying Elijah. Some are saying John the Baptist. Uh, there's another network uh, that says uh, you're one of the prophets. So, I mean, that's how we've got it covered. And we're listening to every network and reading every paper we can to find out who you are. Never mind the fact we walk with you and never outside of 10 yards away from you for three straight years. And he said to them, but... I know what the news stations are saying. I know what the newspapers are saying. I know what the internet says. I know what all those people are saying. But who do you say that I am? That's all he cares about. Who do you say he is? And Peter, after just going through the 4,000 debacle, Peter answered and said, you're the Christ. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. I heard you. I saw. I now see. And I now hear. 
Oh, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. That came from heaven. You're now listening, Peter. You're now listening. That one loaf was the front of the boat and their failure to see it for what it was and what it could do and his interview of how hard their heart was or what they could and couldn't see or what they would or wouldn't listen to was effective because the response that Peter has is thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh my word. You were knitted, uh, the Hebrew is embroidered. You were knitted and you were embroidered in your mother's womb by the hand of God. God foreknew you before you were ever born. God celebrated your life before even others knew that they had conceived you. God prepared things in advance for you to do way back in the womb. He even knew your name. He even put a name on you. He even chose you even before that time. And his, his goal was to create you and knit you individually into a unique individual unlike any other of the billions of individuals to come. You were created uniquely to fellowship with him and to do things he called in advance for you to do. And he gave you a mind. And the, the mind would go through a process of sanctification and growth and thinking and he would have to renew that mind and he would have to give you the mind of Christ and he would have to tell you how to think as an individual. He would want you to think as an individual with individuality based on your experience with him. He, would, he wants you, gives you these two ears to hear to hear his voice deep inside. He's trying to teach you that he wants a unique relationship just with you that is so unique and so intimate and so special that he and you can communicate in the context of that relationship and then that individual relationship will be in harmony with others around you or it won't. But you'll know how to think and you'll know how to listen to the voice of God. And there was nothing that brought him more pleasure, I don't think, at this point in his ministry than listening to those words. Jesus now listening, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I implore you in the name of Jesus Christ to listen for the voice of God when you read the Bible. And may you read the Bible and listen to the voice of God more than you read anything else or listen with any intensity like you do the voice of God. We are the people of the way. And the way we operate is to first commune with God, then everyone else. To first listen to the voice of God, then every other voice. For first Worship him and not worship everything else. To make him the object of our affection and then before we get affectionate about everything else. Because if not, the filter and the way that you perceive the world that you live in will, will be so detrimental if God isn't first. 
I want you to love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your mind, and all your strength. If you place him primary and listen and look at him first, you will see this world clearly for what it is and what it is not what it can and cannot offer you. You will have a spirit of discernment upon you to understand what is evil and what is good. What is black, what is white, what is up, what is down, what is right, what is left, what is truthful and what's a lie. He wants you to use that unique mind you gave him to exercise that mind and not let your heart get hardened and give you eyes to see and ears to perceive what his spirit is saying to you. This will keep you out of trouble. This will keep you in prosperity mode. This will keep you in influential mode. This will keep you in modes of authority, spiritual authority. This will keep you safe and your family safe and your sons and your daughters safe. This will provide for them wisdom, teaching, counsel, insight, a direction. The word will be a lamp unto your feet and light unto your path. The word will dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Listen, 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 and stop looking, looking, looking. Listen first. Too many sleight of hands out there. Too many schemes. Too much deception. It's a house of cards. It's a Jenga game. You pull the wrong piece out of the wrong time, the whole thing's gonna crumble right in front of you. And you're gonna realize I didn't see that for what it was. I never really heard what was actually happening. I need to see what I don't want to see. I need to hear what I don't want to hear. I need to evaluate as a man of God, as a woman of God, with wisdom, what is going on in my heart, in my head, in my thoughts, in my household. It's easier now than trying to learn later. Things are fixing to get incredibly complicated. I can't even... I went to Florida for a few days on business and I came back and I'm still scratching my head. I don't know what I saw down there. It's kind of creepy. I looked and I said, I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't even know. Is that a couple? Is that not a couple? Is that a father, daughter? I have no idea what I'm looking at. I can't tell. But I know what I'm looking at when I open that book. I do know that. And it keeps my heart from being hardened. As our worship team comes up. If you're here today and you look at church, you look at Jesus, you look at something related to what's going on here this morning. And it may look like trees to you. It it may look fuzzy or it may be coming into focus. Pretend you were standing there that day. And Jesus says, what do you see? What's your answer? I see a guy spitting on a guy's eyes. Yeah, that's weird, I grant you that. But I also see a guy who starts to see and then clearly sees and then goes on and lives his life. I did see that too. Don't give up on Christ. He hasn't given up on you. Keep looking for him, looking toward him, looking in that book. 
and your focus will quickly turn to clear. You'll see him for who he is. And he'll ask a question, hey, my friend, who now do you say that I am? Your answer, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Check your vision. Check your hearing. Think about that as we worship him for the next few minutes.